0: West Bulls, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. On my way in here, my good friend Brett Gauthier, uh, as I was coming up, he said, hey, just do better than Michigan did yesterday. And I was like, <sighs> right heading into the sermon. Thanks, Brett. All right. Hey, I want to start a little bit differently this morning. We, years ago, had a young man in the youth group named Connor Acock, and his brothers have been in the youth group as well. But Connor has got an incredible, incredible heart For people And Connor, in his travels and and journeys since his time here in the youth group, uh, has been a number of different places. And one of the places he's been to is Kenya. And there in Kenya, he met a man that I'm going to bring up here in just a moment. This is Pastor Richard. Pastor, why don't you come on up here? And Pastor, would you welcome Pastor Richard? And we're... We're twins. We planned this yeah. today. We did. <laughs> so, uh, Pastor Richard has what's called seeds ministry that he and his wife began in Kenya in response to God nudging them. And so, there's a school, right? 500 kids. Um, an orphanage. Okay, 250 kids in the orphanage. There's a, uh, there are farming operations that you've got as well as the school. 500 kids in the school. And so, We just, he actually goes back. His wife stayed and took care of all the kids while he's here. And so uh, we need to pray for her, obviously. But Richard, we just, before you go home, we as a church want to pray for you you. and bless you in that way. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are so um, reminded in every single person we meet of your grace upon us. Uh, And so we ask. We ask as a church that you, our Heavenly Father, and our, our, um, our Savior, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit would move powerfully, and that you would just open our eyes and everywhere we go for Pastor Richard, for his wife in Kenya, that they would so see and be moved by and sense the, your, your presence and the fullness of your Spirit. And so we pray for them and the seeds ministry in Kenya, that uh, we have our plans, um, and yours are always better, always bigger, and perfectly timed. And so we pray that over them, over the seeds ministry, over their lives, that it would impact lives that they may not even know or have come across yet. And we we pray for your blessing, and your protection for them, and your movement through them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming, Richard. Yes, thank you. I'd also like to, as we've been talking about, as you just saw in that video, we've been talking about this idea of leap, taking a leap. And the whole idea is that we're asking people to take a leap into the church. And in a very real way, there's an opportunity to do something just like that, that even embodies that. Next week, there's going to be an actual um, uh, missions. We're going to We want to talk to you some more about the missions we have going on, both at the national level and global level. So that'll be next Sunday at 9 a.m. during the Sunday school hour. It'll be in the lower gathering place. There will be food, okay? Do you need to hear any more than that? There will be food. But come uh, hear more about that and, and look at opportunities to take this leap we've been talking about, if it is your first time. My name is Nathan, and we are in week three of this series we're going through called The Leap. And really, we've been talking, I've been unpacking over a few weeks a personal experience that I had over 20 years ago. A friend from here, uh, I've been dragging you guys along and teasing this along, but a friend of mine from here invited me to go swimming, and halfway to the place we were actually going swimming, I learned we weren't going swimming. We were going cliff jumping into a reservoir and it was a 35-foot cliff. And it was actually at a place called Gross Reservoir. It's owned by Denver Water. You're not supposed to jump into Denver Water's water. So today, when you're at the faucet and you pour yourself a glass of water, this face right there, just, okay? But the reason this was problematic was really not because you're not supposed to jump in a gross reservoir. For me, it was problematic because I've got courage in a lot of areas, not in adrenaline inducing drops into water. I'm a sissy. All right. And so for me, high dives have been like, no thanks. Roller coasters out of the question. Even this week, I was on the swing set with my kids and I was like, that's enough. (laughs) It might have been because my wife, Carol, was pushing way harder than I said to. And I was in the toddler basket, but that's another story for another time. (laughs) Anyhow, I don't even know where we were right there. So we got to this cliff jump place, and I remember arguing with my friend, how could you do this to me? And he said, Nathan, you don't have to jump. Would you just take a step out of the car? And I took that step, and I took another step, and we went up this trail to this area where there was an audience, dozens of people watching me be a total sissy, and I sat down and I just went, I'm not doing this. Because I saw people doing flips off of the cliff, I saw them doing tricks, and I, I, I looked at all of it and I went, I can't do that, I won't do that, and there's no way I could even possibly try that. And there was this sense that began to grow in me that, that just said, I don't belong. I began to feel in a very real way, I don't belong here. I just don't. And then one man, between 50 and 60 years of age, went up and he said, can I go? And last week, that was where we left off the story. This guy didn't do a flip, he didn't do a trick, he didn't do anything like that. He did the pencil, right? Right down into the water. And I'm pretty sure it was the loudest cheer that was cheered all day. And I remember thinking, okay, if... If that's acceptable, if that's okay, if that is welcome, then maybe, then just maybe. And something beyond my own power lifted me to my feet, and I moved over and got in line. And that story, as I've thought about it, is such a metaphor for what it's like for people to jump into the church. Because when you're in the church, it doesn't feel like a leap. It feels like a step, doesn't it? But there are people outside these walls or you may even be somebody who still is trying to get used to church and it feels like a leap and that's real exciting for some people and for many people that is not exciting at all. And so we've been talking about these obstacles, these obstacles both for us and for those outside these walls that are there that keep people from taking a leap into the church because there's baggage and there's pain and there's maybe broken relationships or there's just church people are weird or, or it's just not something that I want to spend my, my Sundays or whenever it meets that time doing. And one of the first obstacles we talked about a couple weeks ago, we looked at something that a man named Solomon said, is he looked at all of human life. He said, we have this tendency to live in our world of one. And we, we tend to keep to ourselves, and this idea that really just undergirds this entire series came out, that when it comes to the church, a part of is always greater than apart from. A part of is always greater than a part from, both for ourselves and for other people. And then last week, we, we actually looked at the life of Jesus, because if the church is the body of Jesus, then maybe we ought to take our cue from Jesus, and he came into this culture at a time where it took you had to be the best of the best to become a disciple of a rabbi. And Jesus walked up to Matthew, a guy that many considered the worst, and he said, you, follow me. Be my disciple. And he stepped over that obstacle that to be part of the church, we think we've got to have like this perfect performance. He says, no, no, it's not, it's not about Sacrifice. It's about mercy. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Well, that brings me to the next part of the story. So this I was standing in this line at the top of this cliff, and this guy walked up to me, still to this day, I don't know his name. And uh, he said, is this your first time doing this? And in my head I thought, what was your clue? Probably I was... <laughs> <sighs> I said, yeah, it's first time. first time doing this. I... Didn't even think I was going to do this. And he said, well, tell you what, why don't I jump with you? And the whole time this was going on, there are people saying, oh, do a double flip, do a a twist, flippy gainer, or whatever the tricks are called. That's probably not a trick. Anyway, and it was like he was drowning them out, and he said, I'll jump with you, and I'll jump just like you. How do you want to jump? And honestly, I envisioned that guy right there, but, and I don't know what I did, but I'm pretty sure what was in my mind was kind of jumping like this. <laughs> and um, he said, I will jump however you want to jump, and I'll do this with you. Now, can you imagine, we'll come back to the story, don't worry, can you imagine if he had said, you know, um, this whole fear thing you're dealing with right now, can you just get over it? Can you imagine if he said that? You may have had people say something like that to you in some area of life. Or could you imagine if you said, listen, Nathan, I'm like a 10 at this cliff jumping thing on a scale of 1 to 10, and you're like a 2. And you're really kind of just dragging me down right now. Like, collectively, we're a 6. And so can you just distance yourself? Or, or can you just figure this whole maneuvering your body 40 different ways in midair? Can you just figure that out? Can you imagine if that's what he said? I mean, that would produce an obstacle, wouldn't it? Because nobody would make that jump if the person next to them said, can you just, can you just figure this out? And it's with that in mind that I want to talk about really this next obstacle that, that we as a church and people outside the church really deal with when it comes to getting involved in church. Because as you look at is you look at the early church, one of the obstacles they ran into, I'm talking like second or third century, Christianity went from this little known, it wasn't even visible, this, this movement, these followers of Jesus, to it, it became embraced by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire's way of, of communicating Christianity was not necessarily at all times the love that Jesus told his followers should characterize them. But it's more along the lines of force. And anytime you have a group of people that become the majority, it's, very, it's, an, it's an easy move into force rather than love. And so Paul, in his letter to the church, to the early church, it was a group called the Corinthians, his first letter to Corinth. And that's where we'll be this morning. He said... Listen, even in the church, as you're dealing with people that aren't part of the church, there will come moments where there may be more of you than there are of them. And he points at what I think is the issue. It is absolutely the issue for us as the church, not just West Bowles, but the church worldwide that we've got to look at. And in order to fully appreciate and understand what Paul was saying, it helps to know Paul's story. Because there was a day, before Paul was ever Paul, he was a man named Saul. And Saul was part of this majority, this stronger, louder voice called the Pharisees. And what the Pharisees would do is they could go around to people and they would, they would use their knowledge. They were the best of the best of the best. And they would use their knowledge to teach, but also oftentimes the result was guilt or it was shame, or it was feeling like I'm having pointed out what I've done wrong to me. And so those were the Pharisees at that time. And then one day, one day, there was a flash of light. As Saul was heading to Damascus, he was on his way there to persecute Christians. He wanted to arrest them and throw them in jail because they were not quite lined up with his interpretation of what he'd learned. And on his way there, he is blinded by a flash of light and Saul, who would become Paul, gets a little talking to from none other than Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's interesting because Jesus is physically gone at this time. But Jesus is saying, in, in persecuting my followers, Saul, you're persecuting me. And we can all anticipate, if you're Saul, we can all anticipate what he thinks is coming. He's led, he's blind, and he's led to Damascus to the, the house of a man named Ananias. And Ananias' first words to him, are you are in so much trouble. It's not what it says. Read your Bibles, okay? No, it's not what it says. The first word that we know of that Saul heard from a human being after he heard from Jesus, Brother? Brother? He said, Brother Saul, I've been sent here so that you may be able to see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine that experience, that show of grace, that moment in time, so would form everything you do going forward? And it formed everything that Saul, who became Paul, did going forward. And so, Paul, in speaking to the church at Corinth, knowing what it was like to be part of the strong, loud majority, now part of a much less visible minority, says something very simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, this would be a, a stark a, and a significant departure From what he had always taught and even preached because for him before what it looked like was woe to me if i don't win people over to my way of seeing things and my views but the gospel if you've never heard that word before it literally means good news It means good news. And who better to communicate good news than somebody who maybe deserved punishment for all that he had done, and yet he received grace. And he received good, great, awesome news. And now he's looking at the church and he's saying, look, when you come face-to-face with somebody who's standing at the top of the cliff and they're not sure if they want to take this jump, into the church, in getting to know Jesus, if they're not sure, your best move, your best move is not this really crazy, awesome, flippy gainer thing that we talked about earlier. It's not incredible tricks and look what I can do and see it the way I see it. It's not, but oftentimes in the church, if you you talk to people outside the church, oftentimes the message that is carried away from church is think like we do. Take on my views, not God's good news. And that really is the obstacle. Many people believe, well, I, I, I want to live in my world of one. I need to perform perfectly. And I need to take on whatever views there are from those within the church. And it becomes an obstacle. Can you imagine a few weeks ago, you know, school started. And as, if you're a parent, you know what that first week of school really is. It is your children going to school as your children, and they come home as petri dishes full of germs, right? And so I remember the first day of school, Lainey, our oldest, sorry, Petri dish number one came through the door and she gave me a kiss and I didn't think anything of it. Thirty minutes later, True and Lincoln, Petri Dishes number two and number three, they came in the door, give me a kiss, and in about thirty seconds I went, Oh my goodness, what have I done? Like, I just took on whatever super germ is going around those schools. And sure enough, 48 hours later, I woke up at about 2 in the morning, and you know when you just know? Like, you just know it's, it's coming, and this is going to be bad. And I have not, without getting too, too graphic or anything, I've not thrown up in years. But you know when it's coming. And so immediately I thought, what's the remedy? Saltine crackers... Some of you are like, what? Yeah, saltine crackers and Sprite. Or ginger ale, everybody has a a different opinion. And so I thought, okay, we have saltine crackers, and oh, actually we have Sprite. Now, the Sprite we had was not necessarily our Sprite. We have a ministry here at the church called Upward Sports that plays soccer. It's a youth soccer league that uses our field on Saturday mornings, and our house happens to be the storehouse for the concessions, one of which is Sprite, the problem is it costs a dollar, and it goes through my lovely wife, okay? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, we have saltines. But you know when you just, I wasn't thinking about the money. You know when you just need relief? You know when you just need a remedy? So I went down. And as, as pastor, I'm just going to be honest, I took a Sprite. I took a Sprite. Now, can you imagine if Kara had been standing there, which she wasn't because it was three in the morning. Um, can you imagine if she said, I know you're sick. And I know you need relief. And I know the best thing for you right now would be the Sprite. But it's a dollar. And actually, since you're the pastor, it's $5. <laughs> which is what she said to me the next day. But anyhow. But could you imagine saying that to somebody who's, who you know is sick? who you know you have the very thing they need. You know you've got the answer. Can you imagine saying, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. But oftentimes, that's, that's the obstacle for people. They hear more loudly our views than God's good news. And so I have no doubt that the church in Corinth would have gone, well, so what does that look like, Paul? Paul? What would you propose? And Paul says, let me tell you what it looked like for me. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. Do you want to you win somebody over? Paul says, serve them. Serve them. I mean, think about when a salesman wins you over. Are they shoving it down your throat? Well, some are actually. But usually, they're saying, here's what this can do for you. Here's how this makes your life better. And Paul says, that's what I did. That's what, and then he expands on it. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. They, they had certain dietary restrictions, and Paul said, look, if those who have dietary restrictions are in the room, then I'm willing to sit down and, and eat according to their dietary restrictions. I'll do it. On the opposite side of the coin, he said, to those under the law, I, I'm sorry, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. And in case you think I let go of the truths of the faith, in case you're worried that I compromise doctrine, he adds a little note here. I'm not free from God's law. I'm under Christ's law. But I became like those not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might Save some. Paul would say, did you know, did you know you can walk next to a thief and you don't have to become a thief? You don't have to become one, but you could understand one. You could actually understand what brought them to this point, what motivates them, what life is like for them, what needs they have. Yeah, you could could do that. I wonder if it's about empathy, if it's about empathy. In fact, Paul, what he's getting at here is, I best, and we best, and you best, I best communicate the good news by walking in their shoes, not enforcing my views. I best communicate the good news by walking in someone else's shoes, not enforcing my views. Daniel Day-Lewis is considered one of the greatest, it's called method actors, out there. And what he's known for are the significant sacrifices he will make to actually understand what life is like for those whose roles he's going to play. And so in the late 90s, he actually starred in a movie called My Left Foot. And it was about a man who had been severely affected by cerebral palsy. And so what he did the entire time that this movie was filmed is he he used the wheelchair the entire time, not just on the set, but in his everyday life. He hired someone to spoon feed him his meals. Later, he was in a film called In the Name of the Father, and he was going to portray a man who was in prison. And so in order to understand what life was like in prison, he would go without food for days on end. He went two days without sleep. He had cops interrogate him and throw water on him. He lost over 30 pounds. He was again in a film called The Boxer. And you know what he did? Just to to understand what it was like, he trained with a former heavyweight world champion who said by the end of it, Daniel Day-Lewis was good enough to become a professional. He was that good at it. And along the way, he suffered a broken nose and a damaged disc in his lower back. Now, I'm not asking you to do any of that, okay? Okay. But would it be worth considering, what is it, what views do I have that maybe get in the way of good news? Because Paul says, look, I could stand on any of my views, but woe to me if what people get when they walk away from me is anything but God's good news. Daniel Day-Lewis, in an interview, they said, hey, what is your secret to being able to do all this? He said, to the extent that Daniel Day Lewis, myself, that I get in the way, then I cannot understand those whose roles I'm trying to step into. And Paul, as as he continues this discussion, he really points at two things that those who are willing to step into that, to step into other shoes, two things that you gotta know and that we have to know as we go about it. The first one, he says is this. Verse 23, there's a reward. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? No, Nathan, we don't want to be blessed. Of course we want to be blessed. Paul would say, well, you're blessed when you work for the good news. And and Paul would say, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done. Because, come on, I was Saul. I was born into the perfect circumstances to be a Pharisee. I was Saul. I basically got a scholarship to study under Gamaliel, who's one of the greatest rabbis out there. He said, I became like the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was Saul. I knew the scriptures inside and out. I could go toe-to-toe in a debate with anybody. I was Saul. I was willing to persecute people to the point of death. And sure enough, If you could sit next to Paul, he would recount a day where when he was known as Saul, when the first Christian martyr died their death, they were stoned, it was a man named Stephen, he was stoned to death. It was was Paul who had been Saul standing there. and says, giving approval to what was going on. He said, look, I took my views to the extreme. And in the end, there was no blessing. It was bloodshed is all it was. But Paul says, if if we can lay that aside for the sake of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we could lay it aside for that, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in all of it. In fact, we get this very visually. I I want to do a little quiz, okay? There are going to be four pictures up here, and I want to see if you can identify what these buildings used to be, okay? Take a look at this real quick. Okay, this is a grocery store, but what was it before? It was a hockey rink. It was a hockey rink. And what happened was this hockey, the team went defunct, and nobody was using this building anymore. Now, can you imagine being the owner and saying, well, we're going to remain the uh, hockey place for this team, and if they come back one day, we'll be here. All that gets is an empty building. No blessings to use in that building. But it became a grocery store. Okay, next one. Dunkin' Donuts. Can you tell what it used to be? That was a a car wash before this. That was a car wash. But the car wash went out of business. Now, can you imagine being a car wash owner and saying, we got to stay a car wash. It's going to come back one day. Or could it be put to better use? Could there be new life brought into it? Okay, let's look at another one. Fuzzy's Tacos. Many in here know Fuzzy's Tacos, but what did that used to be? Blockbuster. In fact, I just read the other day, there was one Blockbuster in all of the United States hanging on until about three months ago. It was in Alaska. Somehow the guy got his rights to it, and then he realized, like, Blockbuster couldn't support him anymore. So it became Fuzzy's Tacos. This next one's my favorite one. Look at this. Okay. Okay. So this used to be a Chinese food restaurant, and rather than, I think, the new owners loved, (laughs) it was a Mexican food restaurant. (laughs) Yes. They loved the mural so much that they painted sombreros. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I want to ask you a serious theological question. in order to step into the shoes of the person in front of you, would you, in all seriousness, would you put on a sombrero? Even if you'd been used to your views and your way of seeing the world, would you do that? Paul said, I would do that. And you know what? There are blessings in it. But the other thing Paul says that you've got to know is coming is resistance. There is resistance. And being part of advancing the good news that Jesus Christ, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins to make us right with God, that he was crucified and raised again three days later. In order to advance that news, there's a retraining that has to take place. Look at how Paul says it in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? I don't know anybody in here who, if you were running a race, you started hoping to get disqualified. And in a real way, Paul says, if you want to run that race, if you want to be part of that race, if you want to run in a way to get the prize, there's a retraining. He says there's a strict training that takes place. And as I think about Paul and I think about his story, it's so interesting to me what got retrained in him. In a a very real way, there were three areas that got just retrained in him, that he strictly trained himself for. Number one, I think he redefined the win for him. That's that word that keeps showing up in this passage, win, 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 win. He wants to win others. And he redefined what a win was. Because when he was Saul, a win was winning a debate and forcing people over to his views. And the implication for us is that winning an argument does not equate to winning a person. It does not equate to winning a heart. It just doesn't. The second area for him was the pursuit of empathy. The pursuit of empathy. It's something that you look at this man who just so callously went after people before Jesus got a hold of his life. He says, but... But to step into their shoes now, I will lay down. I will lay down what I think. Didn't let go of the truths, the doctrine, any of the essentials of the faith, and he was still able to walk next to people. And finally, he paid attention to his intentions. He paid attention to his intentions. In other words, it was no longer, and, it, and it's good for us to pay attention to this, this and ourselves, he no longer said, what can I get? How can I make me the forefront of this? He shifted it. The intention was one singular focus, the gospel news of Jesus Christ. He said, I best, we best, the church best communicates the good news by walking in their shoes not forcing and enforcing our views. I mean, isn't that what God did for us? He is a God full of empathy. I mean, think about it. He, he could have remained in the heavens, and he could have stayed who he is up there. And instead, he literally, and I know everybody likes to use the word literally, but literally walked in human shoes in order to embody and give and convey the gospel news of Jesus Christ. And so, as, as I moved forward in that line with this guy that I still don't know his name next to me, we got to the edge, and it's always nice to have somebody next to you because you know what? I would have done this and gone like this and done this and gone like this and just keep doing it. And he said, okay, we're going on three. One, two, three, and I took the leap. And I would love to tell you it looked like that. <laughs> oh, don't clap yet. You're going to be mad at me in a minute here because this story's not done. I would love to tell you that it looked like this guy. But it really did. I think it was kind of like that. And have you ever, had, have you ever like, been on a roller coaster or in a drop where you have, like it takes longer than you think it should be taking? And I actually was in air long enough to have this thought, oh, my goodness, it should be over by now. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, I'm still not at the bottom. Still falling. Oh, my goodness, this is how it ends for me. And I'm actually going to pause right there because the best part of this story truly happened at the bottom. And it says so much about what the church could and should look like. So we'll pick up there next time. Will you pray with me? (laughs) Heavenly Father, thanks for not being mad at me. All right, Heavenly Father, we are so reminded, we are so reminded that you are an empathetic God. You are so full of empathy for us. And we're reminded of how how far short we fall of that. And so I would just ask this morning that if there's anybody in here, anybody at all, who maybe the journey through church has been full of baggage and pain and wounds because they've come up against other people's views, would you just stir their hearts now? Would you stir their hearts to know that beyond all that, all you want to communicate is the good news of Jesus Christ that he came. He came to us who who have fallen so short of your glory and your standard, and he paid the price to make us right. And not that it would stay there, but that he could fill us with your Holy Spirit. And so I pray for this church, for for us individually, but us as a church, Lord, let let us see, sense, and know the filling of your Spirit to go forth and do what you have for us in your name. We pray all this.